I am not an expert. I've never published a book or taught a class. I've never even put anything in a quilt show. But I love quilting, and I love talking about quilting. I make a lot of mistakes, but I like to think that sometimes I learn from them and get just a little bit better. If hearing about someone else's goofs and mess-ups makes you feel better about yours, then I've done my job. Join me as we talk about quilting for the rest of us. Hey, I'm Sandy and I'm a quilter. And welcome to episode 28 in which we went to Houston, part one. I'm recording this on Monday, November 8th. And yes, I just got back from the International Quilt Festival in Houston, Texas. I was there from Wednesday, November 3rd to Sunday, November 7th, which was yesterday. And I've honestly got about four episodes worth of material out of that few days that I spent away, which is fantastic. So first, I'm going to share with you my own reflections on the experience. And I'm going to be doing that in a couple of different parts, because otherwise I think it would end up being one honkin' long episode. So the first part, this episode, will be about why you should go to a conference, and in general, what I got out of it overall. And then a second part will be a rundown of the lectures I attended and some other specifics about my particular experience at this event. Um, Basically, who's talking about what and that kind of thing. And um, I've got a few really, really cool lectures to share with you. And then after that, the next few episodes will be some interviews I got while I was there. So um, I'm going to probably post part one and part two of episode 28 this week while it's all still fresh in my head before I forget things. Um, And then I'll be sharing the interviews over the next couple of weeks. So stay tuned. Lots of good stuff coming up. Also, for this episode, we're going to do the first part and then we're going to do some listener comments. Apparently, all I had to do was whine a little bit and suddenly y'all got chatty again. So thanks so much. I really appreciated the comments that I was getting. And I'm going to be divvying those up between the episodes as well. So a few this episode and a few the next episode. Um, I'm hoping to post this episode tonight. And then tomorrow night is my guild meeting, so I probably won't get anything done then. But then maybe Wednesday will be the second half. So hopefully you'll have a couple of episodes of Houston goodness to listen to this week. So in today's episode, I'm going to be doing this in two segments. Segment one, why, and segment two, how. So segment one, why. Why go to a national or international quilt conference? Uh, I've got four answers to that. One, all those quilts in one place. Two, all those teachers in one place. Three, all those vendors in one place. And four, all those quilters in one place. Let's talk a little bit about number one first, all of those quilts in one place. I've been to several local quilt shows, and I really do always love them, so don't get me wrong. I'm not saying don't go to those and only go to the big ones, but I think in addition to the local quilt shows, you really should see if you can make an effort to get to one of the national or international quilt conferences. Um, They just have a lot more diversity, I think, in what you're seeing. That's just by nature of being big. You can draw from a wider participation. You can have a lot more quilts all in one place. So you're seeing a much wider range of the quilt world all at one time. Um, Another thing about having all those quilts in one place, I have the same attitude towards quilts as I do everything else. The more difference you're exposed to, the more you understand yourself. You're inspired by virtue of the fact that you're challenged. So by seeing 
that many quilts all in one place, um, I was able to reflect on the quilts that I liked. You know, I, instead of just standing there saying, ooh, that's pretty, I would say to myself, what is it particularly that I'm liking about this quilt? Why am I liking this quilt better than the quilt that's sitting next to it, for example? Uh, and the same questions about quilts I didn't like. What is it about this quilt that's just not grabbing me? Is it the colors? Is it motifs? Is it patterns? Is it the technique, the style of quilt itself? I also spent some time thinking as I was going through the quilt show what techniques that I found myself most appreciative of or most drawn to. For example, there is one really, really impressive, huge quilt. I'm not good at judging size, but this had, must have been bigger than a queen-size quilt. It was huge, and it was made all of yo-yos. While I was looking at it, I could certainly appreciate the mastery of the technique while still not particularly liking yo-yos. Yo-yos just don't do anything for me. So, you know, I could look at that quilt and say, oh, that's kind of cool, but it's still not something I'm going to run out and try to emulate in any way. Um, that's just me. I don't particularly like yo-yos. I know there's other people who love yo-yos. In fact, there were some women looking at that quilt at the same time as me, and they were just ooing and eyeing and talking about how they connected together and all that kind of thing. And, you know, I was ready to move on. So <laughs> it's a different quilts will grab different people. And understanding why you were struck by particular quilts is a really a good experience for your own growth as a quilt maker. Um, I did see a lot of other quilts that were using techniques I really do want to master myself, such as applique. I've known for a little while that I've really wanted to do more applique, but seeing a lot of the quilts there, and they had a special exhibit of Baltimore album quilts in particular, um, you know, I, I don't know that I want to do every type of applique necessarily, but I was thinking, you know, that's something I really do want to learn. And so seeing so many applique quilts, not just the Baltimore album ones, but applique used in a lot of other um, styles of quilting as well, just affirmed for me that was something I really wanted to do. And so I paid very close attention to all of those quilts. There's also always a lot of quilts with very unique border treatments. Um, that's something I really look at and try to make mental note of for my future quilts. So again, you know, the more types of quilts you're seeing, even the more examples of a particular type of quilt that you're seeing, the more you're going to learn, the more you will be inspired and the more you'll understand about your own um, approach to quilting. I also spent a lot of time thinking about which exhibitions within the quilt show made me linger versus which ones I just sort of breezed through and why. Uh, you know, it, the International Quilt Festival in Houston, is the quilt show itself is divided up into several segments, several um, some special ex exhibitions, other sort of categories, that kind of thing. And some of them, I, you know, I think I, I'm pretty sure I saw the entire quilt show. Uh, and I'll talk about how I managed to do that later. But I did see the entire quilt show, but there were cer certain parts of it that I was able to just sort of walk through and, you know, look at each quilt that was hanging there and sort of take note of it. But it didn't really spend a lot of time in that particular section, whereas other exhibitions, I really took my time with I wandered through and looked at each quilt individually. I read all the placards about the story behind the quilt. Um, some exhibitions I even went back to a second or third time. And so, you know, I reflected on which exhibitions did tend to, tend to make me um, want to come back and why. What was it about those particular exhibits that really grabbed me? 
And then, of course, the the International Quilt Festival at Houston always has a segment on international quilts quite well. I've only been there twice, so I don't know. Both times I was there, the international quilts happened to be from Japan. I don't know if that's the case every year. Uh, But I was able to see, you know, again, quilts from other cultures and in some ways, you know, much the same, Um, similar techniques or similar styles, but always very different as well, Uh, frequently in use of color sometimes in quilting motifs or whatever, you know, it's really very helpful for me to look at quilts from other cultures and to try to understand what is it about that culture that might be giving rise to that particular style or whatever. It's it's just, again, it's an excellent learning experience. And you can't necessarily get the breadth of that kind of experience from local quilt shows. So that's just a, a difference why it might be helpful to go to a national or international quilt conference. Uh, Reason number two, all those teachers in one place. Now, where I am, we only have one guild locally that has uh, nationally known teachers coming in uh, through the year, and unfortunately that guild meets during the day. And although I could take a day off, my BFFBQF Kate is a member of that guild, so I could certainly go and attend as her guest once or twice during the year, but I often just can't get vacation days to go to those sessions. So I'm not really able to take classes from nationally known folks. And so, you know, this is one way that I would be able to do that. Now, I had a different approach this time. Like I said, this was my second time going to Houston. The first time I went to Houston, I took a couple of classes. And I don't know that I attended any lectures. I went to one luncheon lecture kind of thing the first time. Um, But mostly I did a couple of classes. That was where I focused my time. This time, I chose not to do any classes. I did initially, uh, I was going to sign up for one, but that one had already filled up before I was able to get my registration in. So instead, I decided to focus on the lectures. And I liked that experience too. And so I was reflecting on the difference between classes and lectures. And here's my take on it. And you would just need to decide, you know, which is more appropriate for you. A class has more depth of learning, but attending lectures gives you more breadth of learning. That's breadth, B-R-E-A-D-T-H. You may not be able to hear it over the microphone, but, you know, a class depth, lectures breadth. Classes are high commitment. Um, There's more time involved, more expense involved, but they're also higher risk. You know, what if you don't like the technique or teacher and you discover that only a half hour into an eight-hour class, you're kind of stuck because you're not getting that money back. So they're a high commitment, they're a high risk, but they're also potentially a higher reward because you really have the opportunity to learn a technique. You're really in there doing it hands-on. A lot of the classes, you actually walk away with a completed project. So classes are a deep learning experience. They're higher commitment of time and expense. They're a higher risk um, if you don't like whatever it is you happen to be learning, but they're also potentially higher reward. Whereas lectures is more of a breadth of learning, because they're a lower commitment of time and expense. The um, the lectures that I attended, I attended several, they were only an hour, and the ones I attended were all eight bucks a piece. So, you know, it's a, that means it's also a lower risk. If I didn't like it, it's done in an hour, I move on. You know, it's not a big deal. So a lecture, lower commitment of time and expense, lower risk, but also potentially a lower reward. I was just exposed to techniques or concepts or teachers that I would need to then later follow up on my own. Now, I chose to do that intentionally because I decided this time I really wanted to go for the breadth of learning. I wanted to be exposed to as much as possible. 
So for me, signing up for several one-hour lectures over the course of a few days was much more towards my goals than signing up for a couple of classes in that same time period would have been. Uh, Again, I really enjoyed doing the lectures this time, but I enjoyed doing the classes last time. Uh, Next episode, after um, when I do part two of this, uh, I guess I would call it overview of Houston, I will give you a rundown on exactly which lectures I attended and what I learned in them. Uh, Number three, all those vendors in one place. Rumor had it that there were something like 2,000 vendors in Houston. Uh, I'd believe it. (laughs) It was really overwhelming. Uh, But I did have a method. I'm very methodical in these things, and I'll share that method in the second segment about how in this episode. But in a nutshell, I chose to focus only on vendors that had things that I hadn't seen before. Lots of folks were on the hunt for sales, But I figured I could get sales on fabric at other times, and I really chose instead to focus on items that I can't get easily at home or on the internet. For me, that meant I was specifically looking for um, cultural fabrics, or I guess you would call them maybe ethnic fabrics. I also was looking for new or unique patterns that I had never seen before. Um, And I don't mean individual patterns, but like an entire style of pattern. And I was also looking for like new or unique fabric designs, hand hand, hand uh, hand-painted, hand-dyed fabrics, that kind of thing. And um, let me tell you, I did some damage. I found all of those things. <laughs> I was really excited about them. Um, and again, I'll talk more about that later. Also, you get a lot of demos of new tools or unfamiliar tools. This time around, I didn't actually stop for a lot of the demos. Um, I discovered as I was going through the vendors that I'm actually pretty up on what's out there now. Um, mostly because I do subscribe to all those magazines. That's a way to stay up on what's new in the quilty world. Um, But I know last time I went to Houston, that wasn't so much the case. And I did stand and watch several demos throughout the week and really got to know how to use some tools I actually already owned, but finally getting to see them used was helpful. And I did buy a few new things um, at that event. This time, I think there was only one demo I sort of stopped and watched for a couple of minutes. But other than that, I I just kept moving. A couple of my friends that I was there with did see some demos of some tools that they then ultimately bought because they liked what they saw. So it really is helpful to be in a place where you see so much all at once because you can kind of filter through what it is you'd actually like to follow up on. And then number four... All of those quilters in one place. First of all, we quilters do tend to like to flock. We like to hang out together. Um, But I have to say, one of the things I kept joking about with my friends is that I even learned something standing in line at a Starbucks booth (laughs) at the conference. So I decided mid-afternoon, I'm getting a little bit uh, sleepy. So I decided to grab some caffeine. Normally, I don't drink coffee afternoon, but this time I made an exemption. And there was a little Starbucks vendor in the conference center, in the convention center. So I got in line and, you know, it was kind of, like I said, I was a little sleepy, so I wasn't quite at my conversational best and just sort of hanging out by myself, being quiet. When the woman standing behind me um, said to me, boy, I really like your tote bag. And I turned around and said hello and then realized that's because she had a tote bag from the same pattern. And so we got joking about um, the tote bags we were carrying. And 
when I said to her, boy, you know, I, this was the first time I'd ever made a tote bag. I really like this pattern, but here's a couple things I'd like to maybe tweak next time I make it again. And she immediately said, oh, yeah, I've made this tote bag several times, and here's how I've done it. And so now I've got some ideas for next time I do this, how I can add pockets on the inside, how I can add different kinds of closures. Oh, and by the way, it turned out she was actually born and raised only about an hour away from where I live now, even though she hasn't lived here for 30 years. So, you know, it's a small world. Um, but that's the kind of thing I really enjoyed about this event. Um, at one of the luncheons I attended, um, my friend Kate and I were sitting with a couple of women from Australia and a woman from Canada. And so I asked the Australians, I told them that I'd read that magazine article. If you remember a few episodes ago, I talked about reading the Australian quilting magazines and the article about the, um, traditional quilts of Australia that was uh, called something spelled W-A-G-G-A. And I said to these women at lunch, you know, how do you actually pronounce that? Because I wasn't sure how to do it. And it turns out, if I remember correctly, they did say they are pronounced Waga. Um, however, I'm not saying, saying it with an appropriate Australian accent, for which I apologize, but it is pronounced Waga. And they did talk to me a little bit more about the Wagas. And then I had a conversation with them and with the woman from Canada about the price of fabric. Uh, folks, we have nothing to complain about. In Australia, uh, fabric is really, it's about, I think they said 25 to $27 a yard. And the Australian dollar is very, very similar to the U.S. dollar. So there's no, you know, weird exchange rate going on in there. Uh, that's just how much fabric costs. So we really have nothing to complain about here. Um, we did also talk about the uh, rumors of the cotton shortage and what that is going to do to the price of fabric. Um, and we all agreed that here in the U.S. we will still have nothing to complain about compared to most of the rest of the world. So every time you are um, feeling your teeth clench when you're handing over your credit card to pay for your recent fabric purchase, if you're here in the U.S., just remember multiply it by three and you'd be um, right about where you'd be paying in Australia. So my Australian sisters and brothers listening to this podcast, you have my sympathies. Um, also, one of the women from Australia showed me a tip that she had actually picked up from a vendor in one of the booths while we were there about how to turn a pashmina shawl into a vest and you'd just tie the fringe together in a certain way and then you can sling it over your arms and wear it like a vest. It was really cool beans. Uh, she tied up my pashmina for me so I could wear it like that during the lunch and it was really, really helpful. The other thing about having all those quilters in one place is the show and tell in the hotel at night. I went down with uh, my friend Kate, but also with four of my mom's quilty friends that have sort of adopted me, taken me under their wing. And so each night we'd all get together in someone's hotel room, one of our rooms, and we'd show each other what we had done in our class projects that day or whatever we had purchased. And we were able to swap ideas about how different things could be used. Um, I also, one of the women had taken a class that just by exp her explaining, you know, she showed us what she had accomplished during her class and she explained the process. And it's a really simple process and one I could quite easily just figure out on my own and go from there. So it's almost like I sort of take, took the class too <laughs> without having to have taken the class. Now, obviously not all classes are that way. This one was a particularly uh, straightforward process. So it was a pretty easy one for me to remember. And it gave me some good ideas about ways I could actually uh, use that really cool African fabric I had just bought that day. So, 
You know, it's not like I was exchanging phone numbers and making best friends all over the place, just standing in line or sitting at luncheons. But I did walk away with a lot of great new ideas that will stand me in good stead just by chatting with people <laughs> while standing in line places or sitting down together at lunch or whatever. It, you know, that's just the beauty of having a bunch of people who are all passionate about the same thing in one place. You just you learn from each other. And that was just really fun. Um, so can all of those things happen without attending a national quilt festival? Absolutely. But in my opinion, I think they'd take a lot longer. Uh, the amount of inspiration and ideas and challenges and growth, really, that I experienced as a quilter over these last few days probably would have taken months, if not years, to get on my own through other methods, even if I had even thought to look for certain things. You know, some things just come to you out of the blue that I would have just never conceived of to go on the internet or to try to find a book or whatever. You see them or somebody mentions them to you and it's the first time you've heard of them and that's really cool. I do always say that you have to get out of your comfortable beaten path to really understand what makes you tick yourself. And that goes for quilting just as much as it does for anything else. So I really do strongly recommend if you have an opportunity, or let me even ghost more strongly than that, make yourself the opportunity to attend some sort of national or international quilt festival. It may not be Houston. They, there are quilt festivals all over the country now, um, north, south, east, west, central. And some of them are national, some of them are international, some of them have different focuses. But they're all going to provide you those same sorts of opportunities. All of them have nationally known lecturers, nationally known teachers. All of them have really nice quilt shows with a wide variety of quilts. Um, and all of them have vendors. They may not all have 2,000, but they will have vendors. And all of them have quilters. So all four of those elements would be present no matter what national quilt festival or international quilt festival you are attending. Now, I've only attended Houston um, twice, like I said, but my mom and her quilty friends uh, had years of going to Paducah. They've been to New Hampshire. They've been to, oh gosh, I don't know what other ones, um, Philadelphia, and some of them move around. So I might say a city that one doesn't exist in anymore and it's moved to another city because they tend to do that sometimes. Um, but I know now that my kids are older, and I've got a little bit more um, luxury of time than I used to when my kids were younger. I am planning on going to especially the ones that are within a day's drive of me, so I don't have to pay for airline <laughs> fees on top of it. Um, but I'm planning on starting to attend more of these conferences and events because, again, I, you just learn so much at each one. Plus, it's always fun to see all the pretty quilts. So let me share with you, let's say that you do decide to go to one of these big national events for the first time, or maybe you've only been once or twice. Let me give you a few tips. Um, some of these are ones that my mom and her quilty friends shared with me before I attended my first one. And then some are ones that I have picked up on my own, either by not doing them and being sorry that I hadn't, or just by having a really good idea and discovering it really worked and being quite proud of myself for that. So Here's segment number two, how, how to attend a national or international quilt festival. My first strong recommendation is to bring a friend or friends if you can. 
Um, first of all, if you're in a hotel room or whatever, you're sharing the expenses, that makes it a lot more affordable. But more importantly, you've got the shared experiences. Um, now the, that my friend Kate has been able to come to one of these with me, she and I now have memories together that we'll always be able to go back to years from now and say, hey, remember when we you know, went to that thing or saw that lecture or whatever? Um, we didn't attend all the same lectures, obviously, but we did attend, I think, two things together. And then the rest, we were kind of on our own. But that was also a good way to do it because now we have some memories together and some things we were able to talk through and say, um, oh, hey, in that lecture, did you catch when she said this, that, or the other thing? But other things, then we would come back to our room at night and say, oh, you got to hear what I just learned today at this lecture. And we would kind of teach each other what we had learned. So it's really helpful. You sort of double your experience by going with a friend. It's also helpful because you can have shared memory. <laughs> um, you know, I knew there were certain things that Kate was looking for, and Kate knew there were certain things I tended to look for. And so, like, when we were in the vendors, we would also take note of where we were seeing the stuff we thought each other would like, and we'd kind of write it down and let each other know later. Um, or if we were together when we saw something later, we'd be able to say, I want to go back to thus and so. Do you remember where it was? And they might remember, you know, so that kind of thing. It helps to have two brains to share while you're at an event like this. Another how is don't overschedule. The temptation is, especially if you go to something like Houston, you know, kind of feels like a once in a lifetime experience. And so you want to, your temptation is to do as much as you possibly can while you're there, to sign up for as many classes, as many lectures as you could possibly fit in. Don't do it. Uh, there's a few reasons. First of all, pure exhaustion. Uh, by the time you get to your second or your third class, you're, you stop learning because you're so tired. Um, don't shortchange your experiences later in the week because you filled yourself up too much early in the week. Just choose which ones are most important for you to um, do while you're there and skip the rest. Like I said, this time I chose to go with lectures because I could do more lectures in the same amount of time that I could do in a couple of classes and not feel as tired. There was one day that I still was pretty tired because I had a lot kind of fell all on one day. Um, and I could feel it, you know, by that, by the, I think I had three lectures that day and about 10 minutes into the third lecture, I was sort of on mental overload. <laughs> I could feel it starting to happen. And that was just the, by virtue of the fact that they all, the ones I was most interested in all happened to kind of crowd up like that. But most times I was able to space things out pretty well. So be careful about overscheduling yourself just from your own exhaustion level. The second thing is you want to leave time for serendipity. Uh, you don't want to overschedule yourself because a lot of times, like for me, the things that happened that were most significant to me happened in unscheduled times, times when I wasn't expecting something to happen, when I was just sort of hanging out. So you want to leave room for those chance meetings. Uh, you want to leave room for just what I called the zen of hanging out in the show, being able to wander through and look at the quilts without this, you know, without glancing at your watch every 10 minutes because you're sure you're going to be late for your next class. Um, even wandering at leisure through the vendors, you know, there's nothing worse than feeling rushed as you're trying to make decisions. So leave yourself time for the rest of the experience. It's not just all about the classes. It's about the entire experience. So consider what would be most unique to this particular event and stick with that. Don't worry about doing things you can just as easily do at home. Uh, for example, when I was in Houston the first time, I took a class in hand quilting because I had never done that before. 
Well, that was kind of cool, but to be honest, I could have taken a hand quilting class just as easily at home. So although I enjoyed the class, I didn't start thinking about this until a little bit later. I was realizing, well, you know, maybe I should have done something else that first year because I could have done that at home. Um, I, you know, again, I don't particularly regret it. It was just that I decided this time I was going to take a different approach to it. And I chose to do the lectures so that I could do things I wouldn't be able to do at home. Tip number three, and this one's pretty obvious, make sure you wear comfortable shoes and make sure you carry a very comfortable tote bag. Um, I prefer ones with wider straps because otherwise they can cut into your shoulders. Uh, most, I believe most quilt shows now will not allow those wheelie carts or the backpacks on wheels, anything you drag behind you or push in front of you. Um, they tend not to allow those unless you have a medical reason for carrying one, and that's because they can trip people. And in fact, I almost got knocked out with one um, somebody. I don't know. I don't think they had a medical reason for having this. They were just pulling it. I don't think they had seen the warnings. But they came around a corner as I was coming around the opposite corner, and they cut in front of me, and I couldn't see that wheelie cart, and I almost tripped right over it. So do be careful about Don't expect you're going to be able to use a wheelie cart unless you have a medical reason for one. Um, so choose a tote bag that has pretty wide straps and then figure out a way that you can put your wallet, your cell phone, either in a secure place in the tote bag, or, you know, if you've got a neck strap name tag holder, maybe just slip a couple credit cards and some cash down in there with your cell phone. Um, don't try to juggle a purse and a tote bag all at once. You're going to be sorry. Just stick with the tote bag because you can also carry all your purchases in there. Plus, it saves plastic because you don't have to have every vendor give you a plastic bag. You can just stash it down in your tote bag, which is very helpful. Um, tip number four, dress in layers, especially in big convention halls. They are notorious for uneven heating. Um, I actually have, because I travel a lot for work, I was told this tip years and years and years ago by a woman on one of our national boards um, to use the pashminas, those wider uh, scarves. I travel with those all the time now because you can crunch them up and stuff them in your purse or in your tote bag so that they're out of the way and they're very lightweight so they don't weigh you down rather than carrying a jacket or a sweatshirt. But then if you're sitting somewhere and you're chilly, you can wrap it around you and it'll pretty much keep you warm. I've never been cold when I've had a pashmina and I've been using very lightweight pashminas. So that's one tip, but definitely be in layers. Um, particularly when I was in Houston, when I was in the area where the quilts were, I tended to be a little bit on the warm side. But whenever I was sitting in a luncheon, I was freezing. One time I was actually directly under some sort of a downdraft from their air conditioning. So I wrapped myself up in my pashmina and it, mine is long enough that it can also kind of spread it over my legs while it's around my arms. So I was able to basically cuddle up in a blanket while I was in my lecture. And that was really, really helpful. Number five, and this was a big one for me because I had to kind of get over myself with this. Expect crowds and work with them not against them. I hate crowds. My kids always laugh at me because, you know, I've said before, I absolutely hate standing in line. I feel like it's a waste of time most of the time. I don't want to be wasting my time standing in line. I want to be doing other things. And so um, I will often kind of go out of my way to avoid standing in a line, probably sometimes in a very silly way. But in any case, when I decide I'm going to Houston, I just have to mentally adjust and say, okay, it's going to be crowded. So I'm just going to not let it bug me. 
Well, what I've found is that if you work with the fact that it's going to be crowded, rather than trying to fight the fact that it's crowded, you learn how to um, ride the tide, as it were. Now, some of this is a lot easier if you're there for several days, like I was, than if you're a day trip. If you're just going in for one day, you're kind of stuck with your schedule being the same as everybody else's. But when you're there for a few days, I just made sure I scheduled most of my visits um, to the quilt show and to the vendors for off times. And the off times there tended to be first thing in the morning, last thing at night, and then meal times. Like during the dinner hour, things tended to clear out a little bit, and then I could go in and not be throwing elbows quite so much. I also found at the show um, that I started at the back and worked forward because everybody else always starts in the front. So they open the doors to the show 10 o'clock in the morning. Everybody hits those first few exhibits and the first 10 quilts in those exhibits first. I would kind of stay way off to the side of the crowd. And as soon as the doors open, I would cut around the side and down to the back and the back was almost completely empty. So I could take all the time in the world I wanted to looking at the quilts along the back, and then I would sort of start to work my way forward. And by the time I got up to the front, everybody else was then in the back. So <laughs> it really worked pretty well. Pay attention to what the crowd flow is and go the opposite, and you will tend to have a much easier time of it. I also found that periodically the crowds were actually kind of useful. Um, if I noticed why everybody, if I noticed that everybody was sort of standing in one place, I would go over and check out what they were looking at. And sometimes it turned out that the quilter who had made a particular quilt was then standing and explaining what that quilt was. And so I would be able to hear it. If I had been so paranoid about the crowds that I had avoided it, I would have never actually had that experience. So use the crowds, work with the crowds, um, understand that it might be crowded and just figure out how to make use of that to your own experience. Now, that being said, I do want to say that in Houston, it is an extremely well-managed show. Even though it was crowded, it, I mean, there were something like 50,000 people there, I think I heard. I never actually felt crowded in the shows. Part of that was because of my own technique of starting to the back and working forward and, and that kind of thing. But um, the show itself was so well laid out that even where there were a lot of people in one particular exhibit, you never had a problem getting up and seeing the quilt up close or, or reading the placards or whatever. Um, there was never a time that I couldn't see something I wanted to see or that I felt rushed about seeing it. It's a very nicely laid out show. That wasn't so true in the vendor area. The vendor area is just a little bit more crowded. I suspect a lot of day trippers tended to hit the vendors longer than they did the show, I think. There just seemed to be more people always in the vendor area. But again, because of my particular approach, which I'll get to next, um, I was able to more easily tolerate that. I still, that was the only time I felt myself getting a little bit irritated was in the vendor area. And the only times I really got irritated were when people would decide to stand and chat about their children right smack dab in the middle of an aisle <laughs> so that everybody else had to move around them, which created a bottleneck. That was just kind of an issue. So my my um, request for that is if you are ever in a vendor area and you decide you want to chat with your friend, move off to the side. Just get yourself out of the way. It's not that hard to do. Um, I'm always amazed that people don't seem to understand their surroundings. In any case, that's my one little wine event. In any case, um, let's go to my tip number six about the vendors specifically. Scout the vendor area first. And again, this is easier to do if you're there for a few days than if you're just a day trip, if you're just in for one day. But particularly at Houston, 
and maybe all the shows do this. I don't have that kind of experience. But in Houston, they actually put a map of the vendors in the program book. There's one page where they map out um, just the booths and the booth numbers and what order they go in. And then throughout the rest of the book, then there's a key by, um, I think it's alphabetical, that'll say, you know, here's the vendor name, here's what they do, and this is the booth number they're in. So you can track where you're at. So the first day, what I do is I scout out the area. I just walked up and down every row, kind of looking on either side very quickly, and I checked off in my program book any vendor booths that interested me that I wanted to go back to later. I didn't actually choose to stop. I just scouted everything out. And then over the next few days, then I went back and went back to the vendors that had interested me the first day. That way I could expedite because I knew if I started in that first booth and shopped, I would never get all the way through. And then I might miss something particularly interesting and unique over in the row of 1200s. So my method was able to allow me to see what all the vendors had to go going on um, while still expediting my time and really only spending time in those ones that were particularly interesting to me. The other thing I would suggest about the vendors is use your friends. If you uh, go with a group of people, everybody kind of have an idea about what everybody else is particularly looking for and then divide and conquer, spread out. Um, we we didn't do this in our group, unfortunately. Uh, we, had, we were joking the last night we were there. One of the women of our group turned out to be really good at finding the great sales. We would get back to show and tell in the hotel at night and she would lay out this bunch of fabric and say, Oh, I found this all one booth was having this sale for da 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 for some you know, sudden really dirt cheap rock bottom price. And the rest of us were like, Well, where did you see that? We couldn't didn't see it. Whereas I was more scouting out the unusual stuff and so I'd pull out my hand painted fabrics and they oh wow, where'd you get that? Well, we all joked that we should have thought ahead and all been connected by text so that whenever one of us found a sale or something, we could have texted everybody else, hey, booth 1280 has fat quarters $1.50 or booth 800 has African fabrics or whatever, you know, so that we could have been communicating more. Um, so that's a learn from our mistakes. <laughs> if you go with a group of people, you know, sort of divide and conquer and come up with a strategy ahead of time about how you'd let each other know what's there. And my last tip about attending a National Quilt Festival is don't be bashful. Strike up conversations. Uh, now, again, I'm really bad at this myself. Um, I know nobody who listens to this podcast tends to believe this, but I'm actually very introverted. I'm not good at just putting myself out there and starting conversations with somebody face to face. It's easier to do this podcast because I'm just talking to my computer. <laughs> so that's a little bit easier for an introvert to handle. But in any case... Um, I'm I'm not somebody that would normally just strike up conversations with a stranger on the street, but this weekend I really reaped the benefits of doing that. Not only did I pick up great information, like I mentioned before, but there was one instance that reminded me when I decided to get over myself and strike up a conversation with the woman sitting next to me at a luncheon, I quickly realized that she seemed to be there by herself, at least during that particular luncheon. And she seemed to be feeling a little awkward and at loose ends. So at least for the next 45 minutes, I think maybe I helped her feel a little more connected. And I figured that was paying it forward for all the people who have done that for me for years. So, um, you know, if you are not somebody who normally strikes up conversations, some people have no problem with this whatsoever. But I'm talking to all of those of you out there who are thinking, what, me? Talk to a stranger? You got to be nuts. Um, do it when you're at a quilt festival. That's a pretty low risk area because you know if nothing else you can talk quilting. <laughs> so it's a great place to um, 
not necessarily make your new best friend, but at least pass a half hour or an hour a little more pleasantly, and you never know what's going to happen. So that's my overview of why you should attend a national or international quilt festival and some tips about how to do it um, maybe more comfortably or more effectively uh, from what I've learned from my big two experiences. So in the next episode, I'm going to be doing an overview of some of the lectures I attended. And just to give you a little bit of a, a, a preview of that, I went to a luncheon with Kay Fassett, and I went to an, a luncheon with Ellie Sinkevich, and I had lectures by um, Hollis Shadlin and um, Mary Sorensen, and a woman whose name I'm going to have to look up. She's from Denmark. It was Halle Wallendorf, I think. Um, and probably a couple of others. I took notes of everything I went because I knew I would never remember everything because it's sort of sensory overload. So that's going to be the next episode. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about what I learned in each of those places and give a little bit of a review, I guess, of some of them. Um, and then I have three interviews that I'm going to be sharing in three episodes. The first is with um, the owner of the organization Baba Blankets, where I bought some wonderful, wonderful fabrics. And it's a not-for-profit organization for women's empowerment in Ghana. So that's a fascinating experience. And I also interviewed the executive director of the Alliance... I'm sorry, the... Oh, I can never get the order of the words right. Alliance for American Quilts. Um which the the organization that's doing the Save Our Stories project, Quilter Stories, and I have a wonderful interview with her that I will be sharing. And finally, I have an interview with Hollis Shadlin herself about her Imagine Hope project, which I'm very excited to be able to share because I have been a huge fan of Hollis Shadlin's work for years. And let me tell you, it was all I could do to get through the interview without screaming. <laughs> this is, I'm not, you know, somebody to rush the stage, but boy, with her, I'm close. So anyway, I'm really looking forward to sharing those interviews with you over the next few episodes. So stay tuned for those. And next, we're going to be dealing a little bit with listener comments. We're going to hear from you because it is all about quilters like all of us. Okay, like I said, I'm only going to do a few of the listener comments this time, and I will do the rest of them or at least a few more on the next episode. I did get a lot this time. Um, first of all, thanks to Mama P, Lynn, and Robin for sending me well wishes on my trip to Houston. Although, actually, I'm not sure I can really say that Robin sent me well wishes. What she actually said was, Go ahead, go, and don't you worry about those you are leaving behind. Don't feel a bit bad. None of us want to go with you or anything. Just go. Enjoy yourself and don't think a thing about us. Have a great time and looking forward to those tweets. I don't have to get up at an ungodly hour tomorrow. So neener, neener, there, gotcha. Bet you wish you were me and we're staying home now, huh? And uh, Robin, I have to tell you, my friend, I read that to my friend Kate because I was getting him on my cell phone and she and I spent the rest of the weekend saying neener, neener to each other. Brought us back to our elementary school roots, I think. Also, thanks to Mama P, Lynn, and Sherry on sending your congratulations for my solving my computer problems. Finally, it's finally done. Um, and I was right, it was an issue with the wireless router. But if you want more information about that, you can read my blog because I talked about it there. Uh, Sherry also included a great suggestion um, because I believe somewhere in there I had also mentioned issues with pin basting and using my cutting table to do so. 
She said, if you ever had to pin baste using your whole table again, get a few of the jumbo binder clips from an office supply store. They open wide enough to clamp over the edge of your table and hold your backing in place while basting it. Mine are about two inches wide. These clips are giant binder clips, the black ones with the silver wire-like tabs that you squeeze to open, then fold over to lay flat. If you do a search on binder clips, you'll see what I mean. I use mine often and consider them a good investment. Sometimes the quilt backing will reach side to side on the table, so I use the binder clips on those edges while using tape on the shorter sides. And I have to say, Sherry, when I read your comment, I did one of those dope moments and slapped my forehead because I had a big box of those really large binder clips in my office supplies when I moved into this the, my new house about four or five years ago now. And I consequently, about a year later, I threw them out because I was like, I don't know why I bought these things and I never use these binder clips in my office for, you know, for my files or anything. They're just taking up space. I have no idea, you know, whatever was possessing me when I bought them in the first place. And I got rid of them. And now I know why I bought them in the first place. Apparently, I knew about that tip about using them for basting and thought it sounded like a great idea. Bought the clips and then didn't store them with my quilting stuff. I stored them with my office supply stuff instead. And now they're gone and I'm going to have to buy them again. So, you know, this was one of the moments of sometimes you can be too well organized (laughs) and, and bite yourself in the butt later. So, In any case, I am going to be finding some of those giant binder clips because I really did being able to like, I really did like being able to use my cutting table as a basting table. And I realized that actually, even if I did have a full size quilt, my friend Kate was also telling me that she has toothpicks. She measured out the exact center of each side of her cutting table and she taped toothpicks to the bottom of it. So when she lays fabric over it, she can feel exactly where that center is so that she can then line up her backing and center it and I could do a large size quilt that way then if as long as everything's centered you start from the center and you work out so you can clamp that center down to your um, cutting table and base the center and then move it to one side or the other so thank you both to Sherry and my friend Kate for helping me realize I don't actually have to buy three of those um, banquet tables and take up all the space in my basement. I just have to do a better job at cleaning out around my cutting table so I can pull it out from the wall anytime I have something to baste. Uh, So anyway, those are all the listener comments I'm going to share this time. So hopefully in a couple more days, I'm going to post the part two of this episode and you'll actually get to hear what I learned from all the wonderful people that I got lectures um, from. That sounds bad. I wasn't lectured. (laughs) by anyone. Rather, all the wonderful people whose lectures I attended. That sounds better. Um, I hope you're all quilting. I'm not going to be able to until later this week, but I can't wait to have at it now that I've got all this inspiration. So hopefully by next week's episodes, I'll be able to have some Sandy update to share as well. So until next time, even if that's only a couple days from now, go get your quilty on. Oops. (laughs) And you can reach me at www.quiltingfortherestofus.com. And you can email me at sandyquilts at gmail.com. That's Sandy with a Y, quilts with a Z at gmail. Um, Follow me on Twitter, follow my blog, all of that good stuff. And you can find that all at my website at www.quiltingfortherestofus.com. Apparently, I've um, forgotten the entire format to this podcast while I was gone. Okay, once again, go get your quilty on. Quilting for the Rest of Us is dedicated to Shirley. Love you, Mom.